Hi, I'm Emily Saul, a reporter on Broken, Jeffrey Epstein. But right now, I'm here to offer you a special episode of a new podcast we're making. The podcast is called Viral Coronavirus. I'm hosting it with one of our senior producers, TJ Raphael. We're on top of the COVID-19 story. We will be your calm, smart, thoughtful source of everything you need to know about this global pandemic. We'll give it to you straight. The good news, if there is any, and the bad, with no unneeded panic and lots of information. Good, clear, trusted information is how we're going to get through this. So here's our latest episode. To be sure you don't miss anything, subscribe now to Viral Coronavirus, wherever you get your podcasts. From 3 Uncanny 4, this is Viral, a show about COVID-19. I'm your host, TJ Raphael. And I'm reporter Emily Saul. Coloring our take on today's episode is the fact that half of our team had to work from home today. I'm actually recording this from my house right now because I've had to self-quarantine after my roommate attended a conference where someone was diagnosed with COVID-19. My roommate is not sick, but the name of the game at this point is caution, an abundance of caution. So just to be on the safe side, I'll be self-quarantined for the next two weeks. And starting tomorrow, at the direction of our bosses, everyone has to work from home. So every episode from here on out will be made from six different living rooms. So let's dive in. Yesterday, the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a global pandemic, an acknowledgement that the disease has circled the globe and that governments need to shift from hopeful precaution into crisis mode. Here's where the numbers are, as of our taping on Thursday, March 12th, at 12.59 p.m. Eastern Time. The U.S. now has 1,323 confirmed cases of COVID-19 and 38 deaths. At this point, though, our country doesn't have enough tests to actually confirm all the cases. So the first number is largely useless. And last night, of course, President Donald Trump gave his first national address on COVID-19. And, well... It did not go well. Uh oh, I got a pen mark. Anybody have any white? Do you have any white stuff? The president's major new policy was to insist America was winning, per usual, and we had unleashed an unprecedented response to combat coronavirus unparalleled the world over. To keep new cases from entering our shores. We will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. And these prohibitions will not only apply to the tremendous amount of trade and cargo, but various other things as we get approval. Anything coming from Europe to the United States is what we are discussing. These restrictions will also not apply to the United Kingdom. Though immediately after the speech, the White House clarified that he misspoke and trade from Europe would not be suspended. The White House also later explained that the president was incorrect when he said health insurers would cover the cost of all COVID-19 care. They had actually only agreed to cover the cost of the tests. The speech was written by immigration hardline staffer Stephen Miller, who framed COVID-19 in language more appropriate for the immigration debate, as if the virus has a nationality. This is the most aggressive and comprehensive effort to confront a foreign virus in modern history. I am confident that by counting 
and continuing to take these tough measures, we will significantly reduce the threat to our citizens. The stock market reacted in lockstep with Trump's words. Stock market features, a bet investors place on how the stock market will perform, fell so far and so quickly that they reached their bottom limit and could no longer be traded. Then, when the markets opened this morning, they fell even further. But we'll be doing our deep dive on the economic implications of COVID-19 next week. Yeah, for now, we have been speaking with experts from around the country and around the world. There clearly is a growing consensus on the ways to prevent the spread of COVID-19. And they involve the basics, you know, washing your hands, avoiding large public areas, canceling non-essential travel, companies allowing employees to work from home. Trump did not address these potential solutions, nor did he speak about the lack of tests or the lack of crucial medical supplies like face masks and ventilators. The idea of a travel ban, not letting Europeans into the U.S., is not a recommendation topping any epidemiologist's list. COVID-19 is already widespread enough in the U.S. that the goal is no longer to prevent it coming here. It is here. And the goal now is to slow its spread. And listen, this is not a partisan show, but it's simply the case that the White House reaction has been confusing and not in line with what even the administration's own experts propose. It seems likely that there will not be an effective, unified national response to this disease. Though there are aggressive responses at the state and local level. On today's show, we're going to look around the world at those countries who are a few weeks ahead of us when it comes to the spread of the disease. They've tried social distancing, quarantine, isolation, even total lockdown. What does it all mean? And what works? What doesn't work? Find out on today's show. We keep hearing the words social distancing, quarantine, isolation. What do they mean? These three things in our toolkit are basically escalations of the same idea. Stay away from other people. Social distancing is not going to your kid's play, not breathing down someone's neck on the subway, working from home. Quarantine is restricting the movement of people who may have been exposed to an infectious disease. That's either staying home because your doctor or government told you to, or because you're being extra cautious. Isolation is when you are sick with COVID-19 and should not be in contact with other people. And here in America, we're starting to see some of those things play out. With national response faltering, state officials are stepping up. Washington state and California have banned large public gatherings, including faith-based services, sports, and concerts. New York has taken things a step further, with Governor Andrew Cuomo designating a one-mile containment zone in the city of New Rochelle, which is just north of New York City. People living in New Rochelle who are not already under quarantine are allowed to come and go from the containment zone, for now. This measure seems to simply bar public gatherings, though the National Guard has also been dispatched to deliver food and clean public spaces within the mile. But... The disease is still spreading. So what have we learned from China, South Korea, and Italy? What did they do right? And can we do those things? Or are our circumstances and cultures just too fundamentally different? That's next, after the break. 
now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Josh Michaud has had a long career in infectious disease epidemiology and public health. He's worked with local public health departments, medical schools, and even the Department of Defense doing studies about the risk of infectious diseases for different populations and what we can do about them. So, you know, the point of today's episode, the issue everyone on Earth suddenly cares about. Now he's the Associate Director for Global Health Policy with the Kaiser Family Foundation. So let's get into it. We want to go back to where it all started. What did China do? Cases are starting to decline there. Can the U.S. learn something here? In Hubei province, China, where no one was allowed to leave and no one was allowed to enter. That is a, a true uh, quarantine or in another term is a cordon sanitaire, which is actually a line drawn around a geographic area and no one's allowed to pass through that zone. It doesn't have a precedent because it's the first time it's done at this scale. In China, the government was out in full force. Armies of low-level enforcers were standing guard in front of community compounds. People living inside of zones had their movements restricted, and the government even tapped phones to track down people who circumvented lockdowns. Government workers knocked on doors, insisting to test people's body temperatures. But in China... The government can do a lot of things the U.S. government simply can't. We have a very different culture, but also legally, this is untested. We don't actually know what the federal government or local governments can do. Certainly the federal government does not have quarantine powers. The states do have quarantine powers, but are uh, circumscribed in the scale of those and, and certainly any attempt to, uh, to impose a mass quarantine would be met with serious resistance, I believe, and uh, legal challenges. So most of China's steps won't work in the United States. What about South Korea? Their response is widely seen as the most successful. At first, things looked grim there. The case counts exploded. But unlike almost every other country, they jumped into action immediately. They started ramping up their testing right away. They tested people, and then for people who were infected, they traced their contacts and then tested those people, like a long test train or following a game of telephone. And Josh says this is crucial from a public health response point of view, to understand quickly where cases are and where they came from. And this isn't easy. It becomes... uh exponentially more difficult the more cases that you have to follow and the more uh, transmission chains you have to go down. But they have done a remarkable job, I think, in terms of being able to both test all the people that need to be tested. They, they have something like a capacity of 15,000 uh, tests a day, uh, and they're offering drive-through testing for, for people. And also being able to follow up on all of those transmission chains, all the potential contacts for those people, and it numbered in thousands, uh, where they had to go and find those people, interview them, uh, monitor them for symptoms, test them if necessary. Clearly, they've been able to achieve some success with this approach, Uh, because 
their numbers, instead of going up exponentially, have already started to decline a bit, although, um, you know, there's a long way to go for them to say they've controlled this epidemic. So they're definitely making progress, which would be nice to say about here, the United States of America. We seem to have already missed the opportunity. It's too late to test every case and track it back to its source. But we're not at the worst case yet. For some, the worst case right now is Italy. The Italians were completely caught off guard by the way this disease spread. Officials didn't seem to understand that it was a big deal. One politician, Nicola Zingaretti, even traveled around to meet with young people while promoting the hashtag Milan doesn't stop. Zingaretti has since tested positive for COVID-19. And on Thursday, news broke that Roberto Stella, the head of the medical association in the northern Italian province of Varese, was among the dead. Now, the Italians are playing catch-up. The epidemic there has gotten out of control. Two weeks ago, there were 322 cases in the country. But now, more than 10,000. The United States seems to be about a week behind Italy. We have more than 1,000 cases here and rising, though we don't know how fast. In Italy, doctors and nurses simply can't help everyone. There are not enough ventilator machines for people gasping for air. They're trying to ebb the spread of this disease by instituting a nationwide lockdown. So what does that mean? Well, Italy has now closed schools, gyms, museums, and other public venues across the country. Only people with socially necessary jobs are still going to work. And that hasn't been easy for a lot of people living there. Luisa Didoni is our producer Lena's aunt. She lives in Vicenza, in northern Italy. And Vicenza is a place that, relatively speaking, was doing all right. There weren't a ton of cases. But now with the lockdown... You leave the house only so you can walk the dog, only when it's really necessary, so he can do his business. It's not possible to leave the house to go to public places, because everything is closed. But, you know, people are resilient, as Lena's cousin Lucia Cosma told us. I see how people are becoming more creative. Last night, for example, we celebrated a birthday with 25 people. And we were all in front of our screen, but we were together. Desperate times and all that. But really, you know, no offense, I don't want to celebrate my birthday on Skype. So what can we do to avoid mass quarantine and total lockdown? You have to be proactive when you start implementing these uh, mitigation measures. So you have to put those measures into place before there is a large uh, amount of transmission in a community. Otherwise, uh, you've already missed the boat. Uh, so uh, giving people the information that they need uh, about the steps that they as individuals and as households and communities can take to mitigate the effects of this disease. We know from 2009 H1N1, influenza pandemic that, you know, campaigns to get people to wash their hands actually did have an impact. People did wash their hands more. Uh, we know that when schools were closed during that pandemic, uh, parents understood why they were closed and they complied and they under, and they felt like it was worth it or that they could see the benefit of doing that. 
so if the the objectives uh, are clearly communicated and there is a sense that people are doing this not only to protect themselves but for the larger community that is where you get this buy-in that's where you get individual action that adds up to uh, you know widespread public action so good quality information that is key and these social distancing steps they may seem dramatic but we need to do them before things get bad. So stay home if you can, wash your hands, take this seriously. Italy was too slow. They didn't practice social distancing early, avoiding large groups, canceling big events, having businesses tell people to work from home if they could. This fed the transmission train and we should take note. The next couple of days are going to be crucial. It's up to you, your bosses, to local officials to do this. The federal government has failed to show that they can provide an effective solution. It is now in your clean, aggressively washed hands. From here on out, our team will be in voluntary quarantine. So we'll be spending literally all of our time focusing on coronavirus. And we'll be here as this national crisis unfolds. Viral Coronavirus is a three Uncanny Four production. The show is hosted by me, TJ Raphael, with reporter Emily Saul. Our senior producer is Lena Richards. Our associate producer is Rahima Nasa. Our editor is Adam Davidson. And our fact checker is Parker Henry. We also had help this week from Jack Panyard and Shane McKeon. We'll be coming to you next week with the latest on COVID-19. In the meantime, rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. It helps listeners like you find us. This has been an episode of Viral Coronavirus. As I mentioned, Broken Jeffrey Epstein will be back for an exciting second season in just two weeks. Meanwhile, please subscribe to Viral Coronavirus wherever you get your podcasts.